This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. One of the challenges for an effective nonprofit leader right now is getting the right information so you can make solid financial decisions to help your organization thrive. To do this, you need the best accounting and donation software. Researching, learning, and maintaining software can get really costly. So let me save you some time and money. Applos just might be the solution you're looking for. Go to nonprofit.applos.com to see how it works and get your 15-day free trial. Now, on to the show. Welcome, podcasting friends. I have a great show for you today. You know, the majority of my guests I've had recently on this show are focused on working right here in the United States. They're doing tremendous work, especially during this COVID-19 crisis we're in. And I hope you had an opportunity to tune into those interviews. If not, go to my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org, and you can check them all out there. Truly, they're all really inspiring. Now, in this episode, we're going international. My guest today leads an international nonprofit organization based in the United Kingdom. His name is Dr. Mohammed Ashmawi, and he is the CEO of Human Appeal, which is an international humanitarian and faith-based charity. On today's episode, he will share his insights on leadership and results-driven management, as well as giving us a picture of how he and his organization are responding with humanitarian aid across the world during this pandemic. Enjoy today's show. Thank you so much, Dr. Ashmawi, for being on the show. You know, you have a really unique background in that you have extensive work in the for-profit corporate world. In fact, you've got your doctorate in engineering, I understand, before moving into the nonprofit sector. So I wondered, to start out, how did your time in the corporate world prepare you for your current role in the nonprofit you lead? And what can the two sectors learn from each other? Thank you, Rob, for uh, inviting me. It's an honor to speak with you. Actually, my corporate background gives me an extensive perspective. You know, I can view my charity, uh, our brand, through different lenses. Uh, I've worked around the world, uh, and I've seen it all, so I have seen what factors, you know, influence decision-making, how things are evaluated. Uh, I've taken the best from every experience that I had. I did study leadership at uh, General Motors for six years, so I had very professional and formal training, which has served me well. So I understand the, the need for, for strong accountability, for leadership. Uh, in General Motors, they had this great culture of promotion from within. They would identify potential leaders, they would train them and prepare them for the future. Training would vary from uh, classical classroom sessions to maybe a luncheon with uh, one of the most senior leaders sharing his or her experiences over the years and so on and so forth. So that was my first lesson and I apply this all the time in the humanitarian world. I am always keeping an eye for any new potential leader. Uh, one of the objectives, for example, that I put for every director, my direct reports, is to identify at least one star, what I call a star employee, every year. Once such a person is identified, we then prepare a special program for this person to train them, invest time with them, 
two special projects for them to enrich their experiences, uh, maybe some classes offered by the United Nations or other organizations and so on. Um, earlier, uh, when I was uh, leading Islamic Relief, before, before I even joined uh, Human Appeal, I developed Islamic Relief Academy, in which new and potential employees would receive classes in humanitarian work, you know, from fundraising to programs, communications, audits, monitoring and evaluation, and so on. Humanitarian work is now becoming a science. Uh, another important lesson that I learned um, from corporate is that change is inevitable. It is the one, one of the three unchangeable facts in life, you know, third only to death and taxes. So one should not resist change. Rather, one should embrace it and adapt to it. Applying this, uh, let me just give you an example. Uh, after, right after COVID-19 hit us all earlier this year, human appeal was among the first organizations to prepare ourselves. We had, for example, drills in the office to see how fast can we vacate the office and people uh, drive safely home and continue to do their good work if one of us uh, had uh, symptoms of COVID, for example. We were also among the first to test work from home at least two weeks before the government announced the first lockdown. Hence, we gave our colleagues enough time to prepare, you know, including purchasing uh, more laptops from the office and giving them to our employees, upgrading their home Wi-Fi, uh, buying masks, sanitizing liquids, and so on. The nonprofit sector has some amazing, passionate, and committed people who, whose drive just cannot be bought. The corporate world can learn from that, I believe, from the culture of nonprofit that breeds dedication and loyalty. Equally, we in the nonprofit sector can learn a lot from corporate world, willingness to embrace change and adapt, as I mentioned, uh, to be research-led and so on. That's excellent. I really appreciate you saying that, and I agree with you on uh, the different things of what we can learn from each other in both the for-profit sector and the nonprofit sector. Now, this podcast is dedicated to leadership and Ethical leadership is absolutely essential for effective leaders in both the nonprofit and for-profit sector. You already alluded to that a bit. Talk about why they're so important in your opinion, and when have you seen a weakness in ethics lead to a leadership and organizational crisis? Uh, Rob, ethical behavior uh, and co corporate social responsibility can bring significant benefits to a business. They can attract customers, employees, investors, etc. And in the nonprofit world, our most important asset is our reputation. Our ethics develops our reputation among the people. It is what makes a donor chooses to donate his or her hard-earned money to our charity, even though there are so many other charities available to donate to. Ultimately, it enhances the reputation and our performance as well. We only need to look at scandals like, you know, Volkswagen emission scandal to see what impact it has on, on, on businesses. Uh, besides, social uh, media, digital media has forced business leaders, either in the for-profit or the non-profit, to take ethics and responsibility seriously. For many, partnering with a charity and borrowing some of their authenticity and passion in whatever they are doing 
can be a fast track way for businesses to improve their ethical reputation. Well said. I really like that. Well, and another unique aspect of your work is that you're a faith leader and the organization you lead is a faith-based organization. Perhaps you could talk about the importance that faith has in your life and in your leadership. Faith is everything in my life. It is what teaches me how to try to become a good person. It is what wakes up the conscious inside me whenever I take any action, whenever I take one step, whenever I take any decision. It is always guided by my faith. Faith-based organizations have an ethical role to make the world better for all of us. As a faith-based organization, we have certain values and ethics in the choice of projects, for example, that we are implementing, the way we deal with our employees, uh, with the money entrusted to us by our donors, and above all, with the beneficiaries, the, the most vulnerable, who cannot help themselves. We know that God is watching everything that we are doing. So we are extra careful about every action, about how to spend the money, about how far can the money reach, and how many people can benefit from it, and so on. I'm a Muslim, and Allah says in the Quran, we've dignified the children of Adam. I use this as a guide for myself. I never count, I never measure the success of an organization where I am working by the number of dollars we make, even by the number of people we help, rather by the number of people we are able to lift out of poverty forever, where they would not need us again. Because if God has dignified the children of Adam, all children of Adam, regardless of their religion, regardless of their gender, regardless of their uh, ethnic background, then a person cannot be dignified if, if he or she are spreading their hands every day asking for, for help. We are trying to reach a point in every project that we do where these people would not need us anymore. They would be able to survive on their own, keeping and protecting their dignity. And we try to keep that in mind in everything that we are doing. Of course, granted, sometimes... You know, due to the wars around the world, tsunamis, you know, changes in the weather and so on and so forth may cause a catastrophe here or there. So we have to quickly go and do humanitarian work, but we always keep that in mind. When you're dealing with these people, these are your brothers and sisters in humanity. Every child that is stuck over there is your own child, and God is going to be asking you about them. What did you do? How fast did you go there to help? And immediately alleviate the suffering if you can and how do you deal with the beneficiaries with the highest level of dignity and respect I remember a story Rob, that happened to us uh, some time ago uh, not with Human Appeal but with another charity where we went to Mali uh, in Africa and we were trying to uh, drill a, a well a new well in, in, in the area and you know there are certain areas in the desert where people are nomad, live nomadic lives. So they keep moving around uh, uh, looking for food for their cattle and stuff like that and wherever there is rain. And they've done this for thousands of years. Thousands of years they've been very happy living this kind of life, having no problems, until, of course, all the changes that happened in the world that have caused the seasons of rain to be 
unpredictable and they started to suffer and so on. So we went there and we wanted to help one of the tribes and we've been delivering this, this well and this very, very old gentleman was just squatting on the, on, on the ground just watching us with a beautiful smile on his face for like two weeks while we were working on this project. And at the end of the project, his face was, you know, lighted with, with, with a big, big smile and he thanked each and every one of us and he, he, like, he shook our hands and so on. And he said, thank you, thank you. I've never imagined that this village will ever have, this tribe will ever have a well. Uh, but nobody's going to use it. And we looked at each other and we said, why? He said, because we're leaving next week. We're not coming again until the next year. So that taught us a lesson. Listen to those that, you know, don't think that you know better than them. Respect them. Respect all mankind. Listen to them. See what exactly they need rather than what you think they need. Because you're coming from, you know, the West. You have the knowledge and the sciences and stuff like that. So you think you know it all. Their life has been very, very nice without us. So learn from them. Respect them. Listen to them and see exactly what they need. Maybe they need a tent that is lighter when they are traveling with their cattle and, and herds. Maybe they need a tent that would be warmer in the winter and, you know, cooler in the summer. Something like that maybe is, is much better for them than, 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 uh, than a, a well in the middle of the desert. Hey everybody, Rob here. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, I wanted to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other episodes with fascinating guests that I previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. There you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country, and even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I also want to make sure you knew about how to get some more great content. When you go to our website, just look at the top right section of the homepage under the words subscribe. You can simply type in your email address and then you will be added to our monthly email update. In addition to getting great access to some superb content, you'll get the latest podcast shows right to your inbox. Now, this way you'll never miss any of the interviews or content on this show. If you have any questions or comments, do not hesitate to email us. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. I'm excited that Aplos is our featured sponsor for the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. More than 40,000 nonprofit organizations already trust Aplos to manage finances, people, and giving efforts. It's time to empower your nonprofit with better accounting, stewardship, and financial reporting. Go to nonprofit.aplos.com to see how it works and get your free trial. Now, your nonprofit is based out of Great Britain, but I know you go all over the world with your work. Is that correct? That is true. And so question for you then, when it comes to the faith-based aspect of your organization, have you ever had it, in a sense, has it been a benefit because you are specifically a faith-based organization? Or on the flip side, has it also been a negative ever because you're a faith-based organization? Maybe you could speak to that. It actually has been both. <laughs> uh, the positive side is that uh, beneficiaries, trust us more. They actually trust us more than governments and corporations and other kinds of, of, of organizations because they believe that there is a conscience that is guiding us and that, that we always uh, see God in front of us while we're doing everything. So this trust has gained us access to some of the most difficult parts of the world. And 
allowed us to make major changes in the culture of people, for example, as far as gender-based violence is concerned and so on, we speak the same language as, as most of these people are. You know, 85 to 90% of human beings identify themselves as religious people. So when they see someone, and regardless of which religion, all religions are, are calling people for, to, to do good. So it, it is very easy for you to go there and immediately click with the people on the ground and become brothers and sisters and start talking the language. But on the other hand as well, and especially for uh, Muslims, unfortunately, over the last few years, it has become a cause of trouble sometimes. I do remember, without naming names, a bank uh, vice president that I met someday in London, and I said, sir, when I transfer money from the headquarters to one of my field offices, it takes a month. Why is that? Uh, and and he gave me nice words and so on. And then I had to I had to put him in a corner. I said, Would you do that with X organization that is non-religious uh, and non-Muslim? He said, Of course not. And I said, Why? He said, Because you are Islamic. <laughs> it's as simple as that. He was a very honest man. I liked that very much. So there's always a question mark on whether. You know, I, I said that once in, in the United Nations. I said, guys, I, I, I know how you think. You're always assuming that we're doing something wrong. It's just that we, we're outsmarting you to the point that you cannot catch us yet. But eventually you will catch us. And they all laughed because this is exactly how they think. It's, it's unfortunate. So I really believe that my first job as the CEO of an Islamic organization dealing with literally millions of dollars back and forth you know, receiving and spending, is to prove to the world, guys, I'm still a good guy, I'm still not terrorist, I'm still not this and not that, every day in the morning, and then I start my work. Very interesting, and I, I thank you for sharing that. I love the honesty that you've had, and it sounds like there's some give and take there. Thank you for answering those. Studies have shown that many people have lost trust in nonprofits and charities, unfortunately. You know, whether they be faith-based or not, in general, people have lost some faith in nonprofits. So in your opinion, here you are, you're a CEO now of a nonprofit. How can nonprofits overcome this loss in trust? And for my listeners specifically, what are some practical steps that they can take today that will increase their trust with donors and their community? Um, well, this is, this is a really big issue, Rob especially in the United Kingdom, where we're working right now, uh, there have been a number of high-profile scandals, uh, you know, say the children of Oxfam and others, uh, which have eroded trust in the entire sector. We are all brothers and sisters in humanity and in the humanitarian work, and uh, we do learn a lot from these organizations, but things happen. Um, I, I, in in human, human Appeal, I've made a commitment and I told all my colleagues in the organization, transparency is our middle name. There were issues before I arrived uh, around governance and transparency, and I worked hard to rectify and restore them in my first year here. I think the public will forgive an honest mistake if you own up to it and, and you ultimately, at, at the end of the day, Rob, I, I, I will say that, I am not hiring angels. There is 50-50 chance that these people are good, and there is 50-50 chance that these people are not. My job is to put the processes and the policies in place to ensure that we benefit from the good and we prevent the harm of the bad. So be transparent. 
Admit mistakes, don't ever hide them, but put immediate measures to ensure that such mistakes are not repeated again. And review your policies and procedures to ensure a tighter control in the future. It's even harder, as you can imagine, for Muslim charities. You know, as I mentioned before, you just don't have second chances. As for practical steps that you asked about, uh, I can offer one. Uh, and again, this is part of my culture and religion. It's just your, judge yourselves before anyone else judges you. So, for example, in my weekly board of directors meeting, we give the first hour to the compliance department. You know, every organization claims to have great policies and so on, but are you really complying with these policies? Do you really follow them? So we had like a long checklist. Everything that we are claiming, this compliance department checks whether we are really implementing them in our day-to-day -day work or not and comes to the board of directors, the very first session in the meeting, the very first item on the agenda is for this lady to tell us all what she has found as far as implementing these policies, any issues with compliance, any risks that we, the organization is facing. And then the second item in the agenda is internal audit. We have an internal audit department. Again, judge yourself before anyone else judges you. This internal audit department gets its mandate from the board of trustees, from the governance of the organization. They, again, share with us the findings, the results of their audits, and they demand that we follow the recommendations. Another example is that we are now undergoing an audit because we heard about some charities that have had uh, issues with maybe uh, politically incorrect posts on social media. So we do not wait. I hired an external agency to ensure that there are no inflammatory posts on our social media from staff, from uh, leadership, from trustees even. We have stricter vetting procedures for all staff and contractors to ensure they cannot pull our name into disrepute. Ultimately, the best way to win back trust is by delivering urgent, life-saving work and documenting what happens, letting people know the good work that you are doing and be quite transparent. Transparency is our middle name, period. You know, love those practical steps that you can take. Uh, I think for my listeners, very, very helpful. Just some things you can put into practice today. I know, for example, the nonprofit that I lead, I share with you, like getting an audit every year as one example is fantastic. I mean, donors love having that done because they know that uh, when an outside independent audit organization comes in and, and looks at your financial, you know, uh, health, if you will, and they give it a good bill of health, that's always a good sign for a nonprofit. So thank you for that. Well, I'd be remiss not to ask you about the worldwide pandemic we're in with the COVID-19 crisis that we've experienced over the last, now it's over six months. What impact, in your opinion, will the coronavirus have on nonprofit organizations, say in the next five to 10 years? And perhaps how has it changed people's attitudes towards giving? And, and then finally, how should nonprofit leaders respond proactively to this? Wow, that's a loaded question. The impact uh, are far-reaching, and, and it is still too early to tell. The world has completely changed over the last nine months. Uh, many communities have mandated lockdowns. 
but I, I really believe that nothing in this world is 100% good or 100% bad. In these kinds of times, we should be more resilient than ever. Resiliency, you know, is the capacity for personal growth, but also for recalibration, for uh, uh, creativity uh, to face new circumstances. In these kinds of times, we should be uh, much more humble in front of the creator of this universe. With, you know, with all the sciences that we have and going up and down the moon, science stood helpless several months. To, to deal with this small creature that you, one cannot even see with their own eyes, naked eyes, or even with regular mi microscopes. You need very special nuclear microscopes or whatever, electronic microscopes. Um, in human appeal, we have changed our course of work. Uh, our, uh, for example, community fund development department, which usually depends on events and, and big events in, in, in mosques and you know dinners and so on and so forth, uh, they are now developing and implementing several projects in the United Kingdom. We are part of this society, and we have the humanitarian work experience. So we felt the responsibility and duty towards our fellow citizens, our brothers and sisters in humanity. We also remember that people are equal. The virus did not use our methods of separation, you know, rich or poor, strong or weak, uh, borderline. Nothing made a difference. We are dealing with a world in crisis, Rob. We have seen what is happening in the strongest and richest countries in the world. You know, hospitals are running out of protective gear for uh, the health workers, running out of masks, out of ventilators. We are hearing about countries accusing each other of piracy, like uh, uh, literally forcing ships to, uh, uh, full of masks to move from one country to the other. In these kinds of times, we should ask ourselves, what will happen when, when, when this crisis uh, really, really hits the poor countries? Maybe it was a blessing that uh, the virus started in the richer, more prepared, more advanced countries, so we would all learn as humanity how to deal with it better when it hits the countries where there are no ICU beds, where there are no ventilators, or maybe two or three in a country of 50 million. So we've been focusing on those who cannot help themselves, uh, which is very, very important. Uh, some of the immediate, immediate issues that we are uh, grappling with uh, now are access, for example. How can we reach the difficult areas? You know, Yemen is still in its fourth year of war. Syria in its ninth year. Uh, Iraq is still devastated after its wars. Uh, yes, they're now overwhelmed. Uh, with, with this problem, their health uh, care system, uh, their lack of PPEs, uh, the rise of gender-based violence, the increase in mental health issues, uh, the, the longer-term problems will revolve around the fact that, you know, economies are now crushed. You know, we will see lots of organizations that are going out of business, uh, companies that are going out of business, countries that are going to be bankrupt. More people will be living on the breadline, and there will there will likely be less money donated to non-profit sector. In the UK, smaller charities are closing uh, already due to, to lack of money. We've seen in the past that recessions at home see a decline in public donations, especially, of course, for international charities. Uh, human appeal works overseas and at home 
whatever the need is greatest. But crises, uh, crises are, are moments of change. Rob, we try to try to find the good in what is happening, and we've seen that when we advertise that we're going to be working in the UK. You can't imagine the number of people who volunteered, volunteered themselves, leaving their homes at a time where nobody knew how even the virus is spread. Whether it's airborne, whether it's you know by touch only or whatever, people were really putting their lives on the line to help their fellow citizens, to help the very elderly who would not leave their homes even to buy food. We've seen this, and we've reached to these people. We really believe in the goodness of the people that we will survive, we will uh, overcome what happened here. It will take some time, but it's a new experience for all of us. 1918, yes, we had another pandemic, which lasted like two or, two or three years, and like 50 million, or anywhere from 50 to 100 million people died at a time where the entire world was maybe a, a, a one and a half billion, and it lasted two and a half to three years. But that is all forgotten. It's in a completely different generation, and it's a different world, a different world where you can move from the United Kingdom to the United States in less than, than nine, nine hours. Uh, so the world is really connected. It's a small village. How is that going to affect all of us? What can we do to prepare ourselves? As far as we're concerned in human appeal, we've been uh, trying our best to see where the needs are most, again, among our fellow uh, Brits in the United Kingdom, but also in the areas where we are working in the most difficult parts of the world, in Somalia, in Sudan, uh, in Pakistan, and we are trying to help as much as we can for as long as we can. Well, I really applaud your efforts. And as you mentioned, and I've, I've, I've read on your website, all the things you've done, particularly during the COVID-19 response, you've done a really good job of just reaching, again, those people that are most vulnerable. And you already mentioned it, but what I was impressed with was Human Appeal goes to some of the most hostile and dangerous parts of the world, Yemen and Syria, Somalia. That's very impressive because those are difficult countries to work in and serve in. Um, and that's what you're doing. And yet it's, I also find it very interesting that you mentioned that when it comes to the COVID-19 crisis, people have tended to respond more quickly when you're doing something right there in the UK. We found that in the United States that uh, when I think for whatever reason, when the crisis hit a lot of local, whether it be food banks or organizations that were serving their local community seem to have a tremendous response from their local community. And like I said, maybe international organizations have had a little bit more of a hit because it feels so far removed. People wanted to take care of their immediate local communities during this uh, pandemic and crisis. So anyway, I know you're doing fascinating work and my listeners will be interested in finding out more about you as well as more about your organization. Organization. So where could they find out more information, first of all, about you and maybe a website or a social media link to find out more about Human Appeal? About myself, I think if they just Google my name, they will see uh, so much of my uh, presentations around the world, uh, LinkedIn as well. Uh, for, the, for Human Appeal, they can always visit our website, humanappeal.org.uk, uh, our social media where they can read about our programs review our policies, and also give us advice. We're always open for ideas and advice. Uh, they can also call our office to arrange an appointment. They're, 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 I'm always welcoming guests to come and meet us. Our number is in the United Kingdom, uh, 0161-225-0225. Uh, I wish I was in the United States, Rob, 
to contribute to the civic work that you guys have been doing as well. I have been here uh, since uh, COVID started, but as you probably know, I, I lived close to 40 years in the United States, much longer than, than my country of birth. So I really feel the responsibility towards our fellow Americans to, to do contribute and help as well in these hard times. And I wish all the best. Well, thanks again for being on the show and calling from all the way from the UK. Really appreciate you being on the show, sharing your insights with us. And I know you're doing a lot of uh, important work, particularly now during the COVID-19 crisis. So thanks for taking time to be on the show today. Thank you, Rob. It was a great honor getting to know you and speak with you in the show. What's unique about Applos is that they are dedicated not only to providing you with the best tools, but also to offering free training from their in-house experts and CPAs. Right now, you can get access to a solid webinar on five essential financial reports for nonprofit leaders. To get access, go to nonprofit.applos.com. Hey, friends, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on both iTunes and Spotify. If you're wondering how to find it, just type in the words Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast, and your feedback will help expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as possible. You can also find other resources and interviews of past guests on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Again, that website is nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep making your world better.